0: Well, if you want to find your Bibles, uh, perhaps it's on the coffee table in front of you, or uh, maybe you're at a campsite and you're actually taking this in, it's probably on your picnic table or in your tent. But if you find your Bibles, we're going to continue our series on kingdom living in a broken world. We're on the gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 5. In 1867, there was a Swedish chemist, first name Alfred, and he came up with a new high explosive that he actually called dynamite. It he was one of the preeminent scientists and chemists in the world a brilliant man and he thought that this invention that he had would be revolutionary that it would be so very helpful in helping build and construct and to prepare ways for foundations and to make ways for highways he also thought that this particular explosive that he made would be so powerful that it would make war obsolete because of the horrific damage it could cause, that humanity would back away and say, we simply can't go there. But he was deeply mistaken. In fact, military powers from around the world saw just how great of effect and damage could be inflicted upon people through the use of his new dynamite, that it made Alfred an extremely wealthy man. He was horrified when he saw the results of his invention, And yet, what could he do? He just, people were buying it, and he was overwhelmed with grief. And at the same time, he was making a load of money. In 1888, he woke up one day only to read that he was dead. Now, what happened was, as he was reading the newspaper, he was in the obituaries, and he saw his own obituary. What had happened is his brother, Ludwig, had actually died in Cannes, and a French newspaper had thought it was Alfred, and so wrote his uh, obituary, and he was shocked at what he read. These were the words. It stated, the merchant of death is dead. Dr. Alfred Noble, who became rich by finding ways to kill more people faster than ever before, died yesterday. And when he read these words in that obituary, it had a profound effect upon him. So profound that he rewrote his entire will. And though he had amassed a great amount of wealth, He decided that he would create a prize to award scientists and leaders and great thinkers and writers for the advancement of peace and the betterment of humanity. And so he created what we call the Nobel Peace Prize. In fact, he said this, quote, Every man ought to have the chance to correct his epitaph in midstream. And write a new one. And so he did. In fact, the Nobel Peace Prize is considered one of the highest honors that our world could bestow upon an individual. And yet, despite the fact of all the well intentioned efforts to bring about peace in our world, do we really have peace? Do we have peace in our world economically? Do we have religious peace? Do we have racial peace? Is there peace in our families, peace in our schools, peace in our communities? Is there even peace in the human heart? I want you to know that when it comes to peace, peace continues to be the most elusive of human ambitions. And yet, we have Jesus. 2,000 years ago, in the midst of a broken world toward the beginning of his earthly ministry in a series of beatitudes he makes this statement Matthew chapter 5 verse 9 and it says this blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of god jesus speaks as if peace is really possible, and that people could actually be involved in making peace. So how do God's people become peacemakers? Well, let me give you three priorities, and that's what I'd like to talk about this morning. The three priorities of peacemakers. First of all, peacemakers know God's peace. Let me give you a very simple definition of what it means to be a peacemaker. A peacemaker is a person who brings about peace and reconciliation and relationships. You see, when we know God's peace, we can pursue making peace with others. In fact, just like Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, we're blessed. We experience God's goodness, and we express it when we are Peacemakers. Now, we tend to think of peace as the opposite of war or the absence of conflict. One person referred to peace as simply the pause that gives nations time to reload. But when Jesus speaks of peace, he speaks of the profound peace that is referred to in the Hebrew language as shalom. In fact, that word shalom appears 237 times in the Old Testament. It speaks of a deep seated, harmonious peace. Peace with God. Peace with others. Peace with oneself. Even peace with one and nations. It is shalom. And the Messiah is the only one who could bring such peace. In fact, the, the Messiah, God's promised one, has to bring peace and has to suffer in order for peace to come about. You'll be familiar with Isaiah chapter 53, that great text in scripture, where Isaiah pens prophetically exactly what the Messiah will do and what he will be like. And it says in Isaiah 53, verse 5, but he was pierced through for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being, and there's our word, shalom. The chastening for our peace fell upon him, and by his scourging, we are healed. You see, peace is only possible through how God could make it, and the only way it's possible is through his son, the Messiah, the promised anointed one. If you really want peace with God, peace with yourself, peace with your neighbor, peace in your family, in our community, and in our world, it is only found through the work of the Messiah. And that's exactly what we need because sin has wrecked havoc everywhere, in every heart, every relationship, every community, our world. The reason we have so much problems and all these riots and all this tension and mistrust It's because we don't have peace because we have sin. And it is so very prevalent. That is why we need a Savior. And in Jesus' ministry, he said, like in John 14, verse 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be Fearful. Before you can have the peace of God, you have to have peace with God. So how does God give us his peace? This is what the world needs. I'll give it to you in one sentence. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. It says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not your works. It's not your efforts. It is faith and faith alone in Jesus Christ. That's how you and I will know peace with God, peace with self, and have the ability to be a peacemaker in this world. You see, peacemakers know God's peace, and that's why they're called sons of God. You see that in Matthew 5, 9? Ref- they shall be called sons of God. To be a son is to reflect a family likeness, the likeness that is reflected in one's behavior. And so when he refers to us as being sons of God, it's that our lifestyle, our behavior, it reflects the one in whom we are in a family relationship with. When you and I place our faith in Christ, we indeed are children of God, and we have the ability to be peacemakers in this world. And you see, you and I, we truly can't have peace until we are trusting in Christ. There's a book called Peace Child. You may be familiar with it. Um, it was just an amazing story of a missionary by the name of Don Richardson. And he tells of his long struggle, uh, trying to bring the gospel to a cannibalistic people, these headhunting Sawi tribes of Irian Jaya, Indonesia. And try as he might, he could never seem to help them understand the gospel. They just simply had no understanding of the gospel message, and, and the, the atoning work of Christ made no sense to them whatsoever. In fact, the culture was one in which they were constantly fighting among themselves. There was treachery, revenge, murder. In fact, these things were actually highly honored among these tribes. It was seemingly a hopeless situation of absolute no peace until He finally came upon a legendary custom that existed among the tribes. And it was this that if one village should give a baby boy to another village, peace would prevail between those two villages as long as that boy was alive. And you know what they called this baby? That baby boy given to another tribe was referred to as the Peace Child. And once Don Richardson heard that, that analogy helped him present the gospel and the reality that God has given us his son, Jesus Christ. He lived a perfect life. He died on a cross to pay the penalty for sins, but he is back from the dead. He is alive forever. He is God's peace child. And that was the breakthrough. In fact, through an amazing work of the Holy Spirit, many of these Sawis actually became believers in Christ. And even to this day, there is an evangelistic church that exists all as a result of the breakthrough of the gospel because, you see, they finally understood what it means to have peace with God. And that's what peacekeeper, peacekeepers and, peace, excuse me, peacemakers have. Peacemakers actually know God's peace. But let me give you... Another priority when it comes to peacemakers. Peacemakers grow in God's peace. They not only know God's peace, but they grow in it. You see, peace, peace with God, once you put your faith in Christ, is our permanent possession. But we must possess, not only possess it, but we must practice it. We must pursue it. And so we need to grow in this peace because I want you to know all the toils and turmoils and the problems of this life, they don't go away once you put your faith and trust in Christ. What we need to learn how to do is to grow in peace. And so that's what we do. That's what we do is establish patterns of pursuing and growing in peace. Like Colossians chapter 3, verse 15, it says this, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. What is the peace of Christ? It is to know that he is sovereign and that he is good. It is to be able to release situations to him. It is to recognize that peace is the rest that comes from trusting in the sovereignty and the goodness of God. And if you and I do not pursue this peace, peace in Christ, why we live with tension and problems, our issues tear us apart There's anxiety. It can be depressing at times. It's very much like when Jesus called Peter out of the boat. Remember when they were on that lake? And he actually calls Peter to walk on the water and come to him? And Peter did just fine when he kept focused on Jesus. But as soon as his eyes got caught up in the winds and the waves and all that was going on, guess what? He started to sink. And so do we. Maybe you've had that experience. Maybe even this week. I mean, I actually did where you have all these circumstances coming at you, and it's like it is overwhelming. What do we do? We need to continue to grow in peace. That's what we do. If you are paralyzed by some problem in your life, if it's a sin issue, you need to stop, repent, confess it, and experience forgiveness. If you are in need of forgiving someone, well, you need to do that and have that release. It's going to keep you from growing in peace until you do just that. You need to feed your soul with truth, with worship, with resting in God, with being in his word. We want to continue to grow in peace. And one of the most important patterns that you and I can ever develop in this life is to learn to talk with God as we go through it. Like it says in Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 4, peace comes from releasing our troubles to Christ. And that's why he writes, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I'll say, Rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be made known to all men, the Lord is near. And then he goes on to say, Be anxious for nothing, But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So peacemakers know God's peace, and peacemakers grow in God's peace. But let me give you one other priority. Peacemakers Show the way to God's peace. You see, peace can only work when you and I are living in it, growing in it, and being willing to lead others in it. God can work peace through us only when he has worked peace in us. And growing in God's peace enables us to be peacemakers in this world. And that's what we do. We have a role. God has left us here to make disciples of all the nations. We, as his peacemakers, we actually take the initiative to share the love, the life, and the gospel of Christ. Every time we do that, what we're doing is we are functioning like peacemakers, introducing lost humanity, people broken in sin, to the one Savior who can bring forgiveness, life, and healing, wholeness, and eternity to their hearts. So that's what we do, which means we've got to take the initiative and we have to reject passivity. But not only do we bring the gospel of God's grace, but as peacemakers, we are looking to bring peace and reconciliation to relationships that are broken or that are harmed or that are stressed. And so we do so because we are involved in God's work. Remember what the text says, Matthew 5, 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. We share in the family likeness. We are sharing in the work of the Father through the Son when the Spirit of God is working in our hearts and we take the initiative to help others experience peace. Bill White tells of a friend of his by the name of Greg who put together a high school reunion in Indiana. Now, they had been out of school for high school for 17 years, but they had this big reunion putting together and, and they had a blast. Reliving old times, what it was like, catching up with one another. They spent the whole night doing this. But toward the end of the night, uh, Greg noticed that uh, one of the gals, a fellow classmate, Debbie, she seemed tearful and kind of caught up with a lot of emotion. And so he approached her and said, hey, you know, Debbie, what's going on? And, and she simply said through her tears toward the end of their big high school reunion, it's sad that there are some things you just can't forget. And so he's like, well, why don't you tell me about it? What, what's going on here? And through her tears, she finally told him, in the second grade, 27 years ago, there was a girl by the name of Karen who had started the Debbie Haters Club. And she said, I'm embarrassed, but I have never forgotten or gotten over this. And I've, I've never forgiven Karen. Well, Karen actually was at the reunion. And... Greg said, you've got to talk with her. Like, no, I'm, I'm not going to do it. He's like, no, no, you've got to work this out. You can't keep living like this. And so he convinced her that that's what needs to happen. And when he went and found Karen, and as Karen was picking up her coat, he said, hey, you need to be aware of a situation, and, and I, I want to help here. And so he got Debbie and Karen and took them to a secluded room, Shut the door, had them in it, and he actually stood guard outside the door. He said, I couldn't hear anything that they said. But when they walked out that door eventually, he said, I knew everything I needed to know. Reconciliation had taken place, freedom was written on their faces. You see, he simply just took the initiative. He demonstrated that he cared, he functioned as a peacemaker. You see, peacemakers have peace with God and it's in his strength that allows them to go and establish and help make peace with other people. And I want you to know that peacemaking is always possible, but only God can bring peace. And this is so very important for you and I to understand. I have found that there are some people that just simply are not ready or prepared for peace. They are they are they're miserable and they're creating misery. They're on the war path. They are they are angry, they will not forgive, they lack maturity, and despite efforts, they're simply not interested in peace. They're interested in revenge, war. They would like to destroy someone. They'd like to cancel them out. That is part of this Fallen human condition. And don't think like, well, those are for the non-Christians. Actually, this is super disappointing. But there's a number of people that would identify themselves as Christians. And they demonstrate the exact same heart. Anger, bitterness, revenge. It's as if God doesn't even exist. They're just functioning on a horizontal plane. And I want you to know that... um, when people are motivated by pride and greed, anger, and revenge, efforts that you might uh, show to try to help bring about peace, they're going to be rejected. You can only work with those who want to work and pursue peace. Peace. When I've encountered these individuals, Second um, Timothy chapter two verse twenty-six kind of comes to mind as to why are these people behaving this way? And Paul writes in that text, he says that they are in the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. They may even genuinely be Christians, but they're like snared, and they're kind of like this wounded bear, and they're just they're just after anybody. They're miserable. They can be mean. And they simply are not interested in peace. Oh, they, they might like it because they don't like the condition of what's going on, but they won't do anything to pursue it. You see, if we're going to have peace, if you need peace, I will tell you, you will need humility, hubris, pride. It's just going to keep exasperating the situation. Let me give you the qualities that are needed for rec- reconciliation and for peacemaking to work. You need humility, honesty, and a heart for peace, forgiveness, and progress. You're going to absolutely need humility, two contrite hearts that only God can change. You need people that are wanting and desiring to move forward. And there, what, And when it comes to peacemaking, we're looking at the restoration of trust. We're looking to bring health and healing. And I want you to know that peacemaking and peace itself is oftentimes a process. It's not one of this like, well, okay, uh, I said I'm sorry, you forgave me, now just get over it. We're, let's just move on. It doesn't quite work that way. Trust. Building trust takes time. And I want you to know that there is a really big difference between peace keeping and peace making. There's a huge difference. Now, when you hear, like, peacemaker, you know, like, or like, peace, maybe you're thinking, like, oh, yeah, you know, like a little peace symbol on your shirt or on your bandana. Maybe you're protesting, like, nukes or you're uh, protesting... Um, any uh, involvement with, like, animal life or, like, how can we save the whales? And so that's your kind of idea of peacemaking. I want to say that's not really it at all. No. When we come to peacemaking, you first of all need to understand there's a big difference between peacekeeping and peacemaking. When it comes to peacekeeping, that is a temporal activity. Peacekeeping is looking to try to bring about some sort of uh, maintenance to harmony, like what actions can be done to keep war from happening, to try to move to a position of at least neutrality or to keep people from fighting with one another. So, like, for instance, when you hear peacekeeper, maybe what comes to your mind are the United Nation peacekeepers, you know, all those soldiers with the blue helmets— They're not referred to as soldiers, even though they're armed with the the very best of weapons. They're referred to as peacekeepers. In fact, their stated mission and purpose is to help countries torn by conflict create conditions for sustainable peace. Okay, So they go to the war-torn regions of the world, and they try to keep the peace. They're trying to make a situation possible where peacemaking could become possible, but they are trying to keep the peace, or to use like a medical analogy. So when you have a situation, um, peacekeeping would be the equivalent of just trying to treat symptoms. There's pain and there's agony. Maybe there's bleeding. There's, There's something going on that's creating great amounts of consternation and hurt. So what you can do is treat the symptoms. And at times, that's exactly what needs to take place to stabilize the situation. And so when you do that, you treat symptoms or peacekeeping. Sometimes it can, it can last hours or days, months, even years. But it never gets down to the core issue, the root cause. What it does is tries to bring about a stability and we see that um, peacekeeping oftentimes has like rules and consequences. You, you follow these rules. You're trying to get people to abide by these standards, these rules, just to keep the peace, whether it be in families or marriages, to keep them from fighting all the time, and even in our own society. I mean, like, For instance, the breakdown of the family and the assault is full on to just completely destroy the family. In our society, we have measures that are meant to treat the symptoms, all the problems that come from the breakdown of the family. But it doesn't get down to the root cause. So that's peacekeeping. It can be satisfying in the moment when you see, like, at least we're not, where these people aren't going after each other right all the time. We seem to have some sort of plausible kind of quasi-functioning, And, you know, it looks like you're making progress. And at least you are. In fact, I would say that peacekeeping is oftentimes a stepping stone to peacemaking. But peacemaking is so very different. You could even think of it as peace giving. What you're trying to do is address the underlying sin issues when it comes to peacemaking. You're looking for the root cause. You're pointing out the biblical truths. You are helping people grow to a place that we could call shalom, peace. Word is well. It's not that you're just tolerating each other, but that there's a bond, that it's well, that it's deep, that it's from God. And I want you to know that um, it's very difficult to see people blowing up their lives, um, not caring Not taking the steps forward. There is so much potential for beauty and love and grace and fulfillment. And that's what a peacemaker is pursuing. You're trying to bring people to wholeness, to healing, to shalom, to peace. And so, like, for instance, like in marriage or family counseling, this is what we're after. Now, uh, I've done my share of this, and you're going to see when you've got two people and they're in conflict— There's going to be a lot of accusations. We're going to see a lot of symptoms out there. There's at times smoke and mirrors, fireworks at different times. But what you really want to get down to are the core root issues. What is causing this breakdown in oneness? And when I do it, I like, let's put it down on paper. And the simpler, the better. What are the major issues breaking down oneness? And you'll find things like trust, poor communication, um, sin issues, anything from anger to abuse to um, immorality, um, folks not following through, financial mismanagement, um, failure to take responsibility. But I want you to know that what is needed are peacemakers, Like Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. This is what is needed in our families, in our communities, in our country. Obviously, we've got these significant race issues that have gone on for decades and generations. We need not just peacekeeping. We actually need peacemaking. We want to come to a place of wholeness and peace, and that happens when you and I come to a place where we're trusting God. The great need for our country, whether the country wants it or not, is the gospel and the saving work of Jesus Christ and those who are, like Jesus says, his disciples that are about the work of peacemaking. It's what's needed at our jobs, in our work, in our schools, in our communities. We need Peacemakers. So, what are the peacemaking essentials? Like, how do you do this? Okay? Sounds good. Love to be considered a child of God, son of God. That's what this text says. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. So, can you give me just a big picture overview? And so, for 25 years, I've been involved in ministry, giving myself to serve Christ and his people. And I've tried to put down just what I consider are the eight essentials uh, of peacemaking. And um, let me just kind of give them to you. First of all, you need to engage the need. Engage the need. There has to be a clear conflict. You have to actually identify what the problem is. And when you try to engage the need, with individuals, you might find that um, they are they're not interested. And don't be offended. Don't even take it personally. They're just not there. But then you also need to examine the situation. You need to discern the root causes. You have to separate facts From feelings, okay? You have to get down to what are the actual issues? What are the facts? You're praying and asking God for discernment, sorting out the truth from the untruth. You want to understand both what is said and what is not said. And when you're examining the situation, remember, you're looking for root causes. What are they? Is it poor communication? Is there some sin issues? Is it anger? Is it adultery? What, what's going on here? Is there abuse taking place? What is the breakdown in communication? Is it financial mismanagement? Where are people failing, failure, showing failure to take responsibility for their actions? So you examine the situation. And then, and this is a really important one, you have to empathize with the hurt. You have to identify with the pain. Show that you care, that you're compassionate. In fact, if you don't have this element, all of your peacemaking um, efforts, they're really not going to work real well because people need to know that they're heard, they're seen, that you care. And then, let me give you another one. You have to envision health. What does shalom peace look like in this relationship? Um, uh, what does this relationship look like when it's working well? And so you have to be able to paint a picture. Like, what would that look like if, like, peace, shalom really existed in this relationship? And you, and you def- define it. What does thriving look like, not just surviving? Peacekeeping, surviving peacemaking, thriving. What is that picture? And then, after you've envisioned health, so you see, this is where we'd like to be. And you went buy-in, like the people of the parties agreeing like, yes, that would be awesome. But we're a long ways from that. Okay, so we're down here. So then the next one is, you explain growth steps. What are the steps that we need to take? What what needs to take place? It's going to be incremental. There's just no quick fix. It's going to be a process. So what are the steps? So oftentimes, and it really depends on the situation, but steps could be like um, repentance. You've got to be broken over sin issues. Um, taking responsibility for your action. Stop playing the blame game. What is your part in this, and how are you going to take responsibility for your action? It takes honesty, forgiveness, forgiveness, Communication efforts, following through, consistency, developing these kind of patterns. These are oftentimes these growth steps that we outline, that this is what needs to take place. And then you need to exhort with truth. You show what God has said in his word, why it's important, how it applies. And then you also, as a peacemaker, you encourage progress. Peace is often a process. Peacemaking takes time. I want you to know that at times there's even going to be setbacks. Don't get thrown off by that. It's, it's never just, wow, really clean, super efficient, and it just happens just the way you might imagine. It's a process, and you always encourage progress. And finally, you entrust all to God. You absolutely must trust in God's empowerment. He's the one who has to do the work. You're asking for God's discernment, and he is the only one who can change hearts. You can't. You're just merely a tool in the master's hand, and you are asking for God's divine enablement and for his work to be done, and only he can do the work in human hearts. And why are peacemakers blessed, like it says in verse 9? It's not as a payment of their efforts— it's really this, that they are showing that they are a part of the family. They are about the Father's work of bringing about peace. And you're like, wow, okay, I, I want to be a peacemaker. Do you know what, Grant? I've got so much brokenness. And I've caused a lot of problems and a lot of relationships. (laughs) Frankly, I'm lacking peace in my own life over some of the issues that I have created. Could God use me in the midst of my brokenness to be a peacemaker? Absolutely, he can. You just need to have a willing heart, and you need to have a heart that cares. There's a guy by the name of Lieutenant Jack Cambria. He had spent decades as a police officer negotiating people down from the ledge. In fact... Until his retirement in 2015, he was the commanding officer of the New York Police Department's hostage negotiation team for over 33 years. During his career, he became an expert at saving fellow cops and citizens from gun-wielding maniacs and dissuading people not to jump off New York City skyscrapers and bridges. What's the secret to his success as a hostage negotiator? Why was he so good at what he did? Cambria says this, quote, The very good negotiators, I think, are the ones with the life stories. Particularly, he would add, life stories of pain that have produced compassion for others. Cambria claims, Good negotiators must experience the emotion of love at one point in their life. To know what it means to have been hurt in love at one point in their life, to know success, and perhaps most important, to know what it means to know failure. His compassion led his colleagues to refer to him as Gentleman Jack, whose guiding principle was just to get folks talking and to demonstrate compassion. Friends, peacemakings, it takes some skills. It takes spiritual maturity. It takes a degree of spiritual strength and a willing heart. But it is what the world needs now. We are living in a broken world. This is our generation, our time for kingdom citizens to be living in the strength of Christ and living out the values. And there is no greater time in world history for verse 9 to be the reality than this. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. This is what is needed in our families, in our churches. This is what is needed in our communities. This is what is needed in our nation. Peacemakers, bringing about peace of, of individuals and communities and even different races to bring us to a place of grace, of peace, of shalom. And so when you see division in your family, at work, wherever it might be, in your school, in our community, be a peacemaker. Be a part of the solution. Simply do this. Do what you can, when you can, with who you can. Do what you can, with who you can, When you can. I just want to ask, will you be known as a peacemaker? Will your legacy be blowing relationships up or bringing people together in the grace of God? Alfred Noble, remember what he said? Everyone ought to have a chance to correct his epitaph in midstream and write a new one. Remember this, living in the peace of God empowers us to be peacemakers in this world. Let's pray.